A couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I started off our Galatians series by talking about how the Bible starts off with a vision, right? The vision is that God longed for us to live in community with him, life with God under the rule of God in the garden. That was God's vision for humanity and for creation at large is that we would, he would dwell physically with man for all eternity. Now we know what happens in Galatians chapter three, Adam and Eve decide for a different vision. They want life apart from God under their own rule. And what happens is sin wrecks havoc on their life as well as all creation. But God in his kindness, in his mercy, he comes and he gives this beautiful promise to Adam and Eve in the midst of the fall in the garden, Galatians, or Genesis chapter 3, that he was going to redeem Adam and Eve, all humanity, back to himself. And so as you see scripture unfold, we talked about the gospel is ultimately how God accomplishes his promise, that he sends Jesus into this world in his life, death, and resurrection has reconciled us back to God. Beautiful, beautiful. Now here's the thing. The Bible doesn't just start with a vision. It also ends with a vision. What you see at the end of the Bible is a vision in the book of Revelation. And what you see is this vision of what that life with God under the rule of God looks like. That God physically comes down with heaven. He marries heaven and earth and God dwells with humanity for the rest of eternity. And it's like what all of us are salivating for, that there's no more pain, no more tears. There's no more death. There's no more disease. All that has been eradicated because God has come down and he's made all things new, including your body. It's just a beautiful vision. Now, what's really, really important about this vision is exactly who this, was, who this vision is for. And it's very, the Bible is very specific about who the us is in this vision, all right? It's Jew and Gentile united as the people of God. That's what we see in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. So 1 through 8 are about how God is bringing a remnant of his people, Israel, and they are going to be a part of this new creation, new heavens and new earth. But then you also get the astonishing work of verses 9 and 10. Here's what verse 9 says. After this... I looked, this is the Apostle John speaking, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, meaning there's tons of people that have responded to this good news of Jesus that he has done the reconciling work in their life. And standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, just this sign of worship that's happening with Jesus, all right? So this type of unity is something that influential leaders throughout human history have been working towards since I, like any of us could even possibly try to go back in terms of human history. Um, we've recently seen this in our own country, right? Like we know that we live in a pretty sketch history in terms of our country and its background in terms of living within unity across ethnic lines. Civil rights leaders risk their lives for this kind of ethnic unity. And as you look at what our failed experiences have been in this, you have to look at this vision and ask the question, how does God achieve this type of unity? And the answer is the gospel. 
It's the gospel, the life and work of Jesus. Because you see this in verse 10 of that same vision in Revelation chapter 7. Here's what it says. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. So stop and recognize what is happening here. Every per, there are people from every tribe, nation, people, and language that no one could number. They're all looking to Jesus as their salvation, who's seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And they're saying that salvation belongs to God because of the work that he's done in and through Christ Jesus on their behalf. That's the gospel the life and work of Jesus is what brings this vision to fruition. And this is exactly what we find in the passage that we're going to look at tonight. So we're in Galatians chapter 2. It's part 2 of 3 of the autobiographical section of Galatians. So essentially, here's what Paul is doing. He's advocating for the truth of the gospel through his own personal story. We looked at the first part last week. We're going to look at the second part, and we'll look at the third part next week. And the result of um, what happens in this passage, so Paul's going to make this, he's relaying his visit, this visit that he took back to Jerusalem where he met with the big A apostles in Jerusalem. And the result of his visit there is gospel unity. Gospel unity, the sp specifically what we see and what we're going to try to impact tonight is that there's unity in the gospel and then there's unity around the gospel. Unity in the gospel and unity around the gospel. So what we're going to do tonight, we're looking at this passage, G Galatians 2, 1 through 10. We're going to look at it in these two different movements, unity in the gospel and unity around the gospel. And I want to Tease this out for us and then work to apply it to our own life here today as Christ Church. Sound good? All right, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, uh, we usually have you stand and read the passage aloud together for time's sake and with all the transitions. I'm just going to work through the passage, read it aloud for us as we work through the sermon tonight. All right, so we're going to go look at verses one through five to start. And here's what verse one says. Then after 14 Years. So Paul is coming out of Asia Minor where he's gone around and visited churches like Galatia, preached the gospel, seeing new churches actually start here. If you want to hear all about that work, the first like 17 years of Paul's ministry, go back to Galatians chapter 1 and you can read all about it. The, after, the, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also, I went up according to a revelation and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those recognized as leaders. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running in vain, but not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. And this is really important. But we did not give up and submit to these people for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel will be preserved for you. 
So Paul goes back to Jerusalem after these 14 years in what is now Asia Minor, so like parts of Turkey and other places in Asia Minor. And he goes back due to a revelation. That's what Paul says. So here's what that means. It's not because the big A apostles in Jerusalem have summoned him back to Jerusalem because he's in trouble. No, God gave him a vision and told him to go back to Jerusalem for a particular reason. And the reason for his visit is to eradicate a fear. All right. Paul is not fearful that he has gotten the gospel wrong. He's certain about the gospel. What he is afraid is that the big A apostles in Jerusalem have added to the, the gospel like the false teachers are going around behind him in places like Galatia and preaching that Paul did not give them the whole gospel. So he's, it's not a fear of certainty, but a, a, a fear of fruitfulness is what Paul is afraid of. Because here's the reality, all right? It's very beginning stages of Christianity, this new work that God is doing in the midst of human history. And if at these very beginning moments that the leaders of this whole entire movement are conflicted against one another, there's two different gospel messages, it kind of takes the rug out from the uh, below all of them, right? That there's Well, who are we supposed to believe? Whose message is the right message? What are we supposed to do? It just kind of breaks the whole thing down. And so Paul is not afraid that he's gotten the gospel wrong. He's afraid that there's something that's been added to the gospel and that it's going to limit its fruitfulness because he longs to see all people know about the right relationship that they can have in Christ Jesus. And so what happens here? How does Paul go and address this issue? He actually goes and confronts them with a case study. That's what we see because Paul brings two people with him. He brings Barnabas, but he also brings Titus, which is an uncircumcised Gentile. He says that he's an uncircumcised Greek, all right? And so what happens here is Paul brings somebody that's come and professed faith in Christ that is not circumcised, so he's not become a ritual Jewish person, and he doesn't feel obligated to do so. And so he comes and brings this Titus before the apostles and asks them, what do we do here? Here's the case study. Here's what's happened in his life. Here's the profession of faith in Christ Jesus that's happened. What do we do here? And in the midst of this, there's a private meeting that ends up happening in Jerusalem. So Paul, Barnabas, and Titus, they go with the other apostles. They get into a room. And what happens is that these false teachers, they weasel their way into that whole entire meeting. They find a way to get into the door. And what happens there is that they try to advocate the additions to the gospel that people have preached following Paul throughout all of Asia Minor. And here's the result of that meeting. Paul's not convinced. The additions of the gospel that they're trying to bring, Paul's not convinced. Titus isn't convinced. This very man that has professed faith in Christ that is a Greek that hasn't become a ritual Jew person and isn't following and trying to keep all the traditions and commands of the Mosaic law, he doesn't feel compelled by it. And look, these false teachers are renounced because what happens in verse 6, Paul says, they added nothing to me, meaning the apostles in this private meeting, they don't agree with the false teachers, they agree with Paul. They don't add anything to the gospel. And so here's what we need to see, all right? These false teachers argue that God can only dwell with people that are made pure, all right? God can only dwell with people that have been made pure. And only the Israelites, according to these false teachers, have been given the means to purity. Here's what that means. They are purified from sin through circumcision, 
that they're set apart from God, they're removed from the rest of the world in their sinful ways by being physically circumcised to be a part of God's people. But then they stay pure by keeping the law of Moses. So they are made pure by circumcision, and then they remain pure by keeping the laws of the Old Testament. And therefore, you must become Jewish in your physical appearance, in your rituals, but then everyone must also stay pure by keeping the law, which means you need to become one of us is what the, the false teachers are essentially saying. You have to become an Israelite. For you to be a people of God, you have to look like it physically and inwardly. Essentially what they're saying is everyone else is too crooked and sinful for God to dwell in them. But what is the result of the meeting? Paul says that the truth of the gospel is this, that Christ is all in all. Christ is all in all. This is essentially Colossians 1 and 2. All right, what happens in Colossians 1 is Paul says that the mystery of the gospel is Christ in you. Meaning that any person that is not born an Israelite, when they trust in Jesus, they get all the benefits of being a part of his people. They don't have to do any of the additional work because it's Christ is all. And this is possible because Christ is also all that you need. That's what Colossians 2 is. So you, you trust in Jesus and he, God comes to live inside of you even if you don't become a ritual Jewish person. And this is possible because Jesus has done all that the Jewish laws and all the things that the, Jew, the false teachers were trying to place on people in addition to the gospel. Paul's saying Jesus has done it for you. That's what Colossians 2 says. Christ is your circumcision. He cut away the impurity of sin from your heart. Christ is the fulfillment of the law because the law and its traditions was just a shadow of what's to come, which was God dwelling with man. But Christ is the substance because Christ is now in you, meaning that God lives inside of you if you trust in Jesus. And so we just sang about this. We said a line, holiness is Christ and me. That's what Paul is saying is the truth of the gospel. It doesn't matter what nationality you come from. It is the person in which your faith resides which is Jesus because he's done everything for you. So it's Christ is all. He's done everything for you. And if you trust in Jesus, then he can be in all. You see what I'm saying? Here's how John Owen put it, all right? This old preacher, pastor. Um, he says, imagine a man going to collect sticks for his fireplace. And as he goes out into the woods, he finds a good supply of sticks that are out there, but they're really varied in their shapes and sizes. And so you see really long sticks that are thin, but then you get really short sticks that are thick and stout. Some are straight and some are twisted. And such variety is supposed to make it impossible for a person to carry in their own arms, right? If you've tried to do this, if you've tried to collect sticks of all these different varieties, you can't just like carry them and have like this nice, tight and and neat stack that you get to take back with you. No, there's a lot of wasted space inside of there. And so you've got to make them all the same is what like you would traditionally think. But that's not what happens with this man. Here's what he says. John Owen says, the man gathers the varied six together, binds them with a rope, and in one bundle easily carries them home. In Christ, that's exactly what God has done. 
what you see in Jesus is that God has gathered people from every ethnicity and united us together as his people in Christ. Jesus is the rope of the bundle of the gospel. He's the one that holds all these different people of all different people, all different tribes, all nations, all tongues together. He's the rope that holds it all together. Essentially this, there's unity in the gospel because of the work of Jesus. So look, here's our takeaway, all right? For us as the church, as the local church, you think about us as a local church, but you also think about the church out across the entire globe. Here's what I believe that Paul's trying to advocate for is that we are a church for all people. We are a church for all people. What unites us together, which is Jesus Christ, is also that that keeps us together. We never stray from the gospel. It's what unites us. But look, it's also what keeps the church together. So here's what we should think about, all right? We need to keep the main thing the main thing. The gospel is the main thing, and we should never stray from it or try to add to it or try to do anything in addition to the gospel. We keep the main thing the main thing. Here's trying to get very practical for us, all right? We are married to Christ in the gospel, not our preferences, when it comes to us as a church. When we think about us being the church of God, we are not a people that are married to our philosophy of ministry. The way that we're trying to reach this city and the way that we're trying to see the gospel move forward, our strategies are not what we are married to. We are married to the gospel, period. We are not married to our musical preferences. We are All we are committed to is keeping the truth of the gospel on your lips as we sing songs together. The styles that we have in the way that we sing together, that is not what we hold on to. It's not tradition that we're clinging to. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what united us, and that's what keeps us together. We're not married to our group structure. We just commissioned new group leaders up here. But look, some people, they're going back to Sunday school, like young churches, are going back to Sunday school on site in classrooms at their church facility on Sundays. People, we're not married to our group structure. If we need that here as a church in order for us to cling and embrace Jesus and the gospel here, we'll do it. We'll quickly give up our group structure. The clothing that we wear, look, the only restrictions that we have is that you have clothes on. That's the only thing. Like we are not a people that are going to be married to our preferences. We are only married to Christ and his gospel, period. It also means that we look one another from a heavenly perspective and not a worldly perspective. This is 2 Corinthians 5, y'all. What happens in 2 Corinthians 5 is Paul articulates the gospel that Jesus has reconciled us to God. And here's what verse 16 says. From now on then, we do not know one another from a worldly perspective. How does the world work? They look at your skin tone. They look at your hobbies. They look at your social class. They look at your age. They look at all these different things and we distinguish one another because of those. Look, what Paul is saying is the gospel eradicates all of that from the church. We don't look at each other as the world looks at each other. We look at each other as God has looked at us. How did God look at you? He looked at you as a person that needed reconciliation. They needed to be made right 
with God in relationship with him through Jesus Christ. So here's what this means. It means that prejudice and favoritism have no place here. Never. We only look at each other in the way that God looks at us. We are now children of God whom he delights in. That's how we see one another. So look, the church is also described as Christ's bride and what God has brought together, may we never separate. Amen? Look, the gospel unites. And so we are a people that are gonna keep the main thing, the main thing. We're not gonna be, be a people that are married to all these other things. We're only married to Christ in the gospel. We see each other the way that God has seen us. But not only is there unity in the gospel, there's also unity around the gospel. We see this for the remainder of Paul's story in verses six through 10. Here's what it says. Now from those recognized as important, what they once were makes no difference to me. He's talking about these, uh, the apostles that are here in Jerusalem. God does not show favoritism. So Paul is saying these people are a really big deal when it comes to like the church and even how God has used them and seeing the church move forward here. But he says, what they are to me does not matter because God shows no favoritism. What the gospel and the cross does is it levels the playing field for everybody. And that's how, that's how Paul, he's playing 2 Corinthians 5 out for, uh, here for us. He says, they added nothing to me. So meaning they didn't add anything to the gospel. Verse seven, on the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter was for the circumcised. Since the one at work in Peter for an apostleship to the circumcised was also at work in me for the Gentiles. Verse nine, when James, Cephas, which is Peter, and John, those recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Verse 10, they asked only that we would remember the poor, which I had made every effort to do. So what we see here is Paul's affirming what we just talked about, that the gospel is affirmed. They add nothing to his message. It's not altered. That's what we see in verse six. But Paul also goes further than this. Not only do they agree that the gospel is for all people, Paul says the apostles agree to work together to reach all people with this gospel. That's what we see in Galatians 2.9. Here's what he says. James, Cephas, and John, those recognized as pillars, they acknowledge the grace that had been given to me. So they acknowledge Paul has been set apart to go to the Gentiles. And look, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me. Meaning, we're partnering together. You, Paul, are going to the uncircumcised. You're going to the Gentiles because they need to hear the good news of Jesus. They need to hear that Christ is all in all that they've been invited to be a part of God's family, that God has big, wide, open arms for all people across all ethnic lines to come to his family in trusting in Jesus alone. And they're saying, we're gonna go and tell the circumcised, the Jewish people, that Christ is all, that Jesus is all that is needed, that is not circumcision, that is not the keeping of the law, the remain pure. Jesus has done all the work. We're gonna partner together. You go to the Gentiles, we'll go to the Jews and we'll share the same message to all. Christ is all 
in all. And so look, you have to step back from this, all right? So why? Why would they do this? Why would this be so essential, this partnership that they're going to all people sharing the same message? What is the end result? They want to see people come and trust and follow Jesus with their life. They do. Faith in Christ alone. They want to see that for everybody. Yes, they want to see people that are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, kingdom of death to the kingdom of life. They want to see that for all people. But more so, they want to see new churches established. They want to see new churches established. Here's why. Tony Evans illustrates the church as a foreign embassy. All right. What is an embassy? An embassy is fundamentally a little bit of like your own country for us, America, a long way from home, right? When you cross the gate of an American embassy in a foreign country, you are home away from home. You, you get what I'm saying? Like everything in terms of like our rules and the way that we order our country here. If you're in a foreign country and you go into an American embassy and you cross that gate into the line of the American embassy, it's like you're home away from home. And he says, that's what the church is supposed to be. The church is a little bit of heaven a long way from home. The church is to be the place where the values of eternity operate in human history. Here's what that means. Like the grace or the culture and the aroma of the church is that of the kingdom of God. It's grace. It's unity. It's justice. It's equality. It's joy in the, light, in the midst of hard hardships and persecution. Joy overrules all of it because of what Christ has done. That is what happens in the life of a church. It's the embassy of heaven in human history. And so it's also where we taste the new community that was found in the vision of revelation in the here and now. I mean, like you get a taste of what that vision is in Revelation chapter seven here and now because that is how big and powerful the gospel is that it reaches across ethnic lines and brings about unity in ways that no one in human history could ever fathom. When you walk into a church, you get to have a foretaste of what heaven is gonna be like. So not only did they want to see people come to faith in Jesus, yes, they wanted to see new communities established that were embassies of heaven on earth. That's what a church is. They wanted to see people that could not only have a reconciled relationship with God, but they also get to experience God's people in the here and now. Isn't that beautiful? Like, how loving is our God that he would move towards us in such a way that not only he reconciles us with himself, that we are all united in Jesus Christ, but then we also get to have a church here, a, a foretaste of what we experience with God dwelling with man in the here and now for all eternity. We get to experience this in the church. How good our God is. So here's what this means for us. We are a church for all people. But we're a church for all people working together to reach all people. That's what we're doing, all right? This means, here's what this means for us, all right? This means that the church is no longer just a building that you come to on Sunday. 
This means that the church is now an alternate community that's an embassy of heaven in human history. That when you come in here on Sunday, you gain God's people. It's no longer a place that you just come in order to take away and for you to be a person that just consumes and then leave this place as if you never know these people as your family at all. No, you have an alternate community that you now belong to. Here's what it also means, that every person that's a part of this church is no longer just an acquaintance, but they're now an ambassador that has the capacity to be sent. What does an embassy have? It has an ambassador there, a person that is like an authority from that homeland. And that ambassador, according to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, what you have now is the ministry of reconciliation. If you have faith and relationship with Jesus, you've been given the good news of the gospel to go share with all people. So this means that whenever you look at your work, it's no longer just a a job to you. This means that whenever you look at your neighborhood, it's no longer just the place that you live. When you look at the park that you go to to play in, it's no longer just the place that you get to do your hobbies. All these places are now a mission field for you. God changes everything for you. He gives you that new lens by which you look at things and it transforms the way that you look at all people and all places in your life. Here's what it also means too. It means the, the cities that you think about, the states that you think about, the countries that you think about in terms of going and visiting. Oh, that'd be a great place to go visit. That'd be a fun place of vacation, yada, yada, yada. Like it's no longer just those places for you. Now it's a new place that you get to pray that there'd be a new embassy of heaven that would be planted in that particular place. That's what happens with unity around the gospel. That people's lives are transformed for all eternity. God gives his mission to you and he creates new communities that are heavenly embassies here in this world. And he gives you the mission. (laughs) You have purpose, you have meaning, you have life, you have value, you have worth, all because of what Christ has done inside of you in the gospel. Incredible. So let's get a little bit more um, tangible here, right? So um, we are to be a gospel multiplying church. Like what we had here in commissioning a new group is not something that we just want to see every once in a while. We want to see this be the regularity of our church. We want to see this place as a launching pad for new churches that are going to needy places that need the gospel in order that we can see more people be transferred from that kingdom of darkness, but they also get to experience the people of God. Like we want to be a church. Here's our kingdom prayer. Our kingdom prayer is that in the next 10 years that God would allow us to send out five new churches across the globe. Like we want to be that church. Here's here's how God transforms you, right? Jesus leveraged his life and his work for you. We want to be the same people that do that for our neighbors. We leverage our life and our work to see people that know Jesus, hear the good news of Jesus, get to experience embassies of heaven here on earth. That's what we want to be about. It transforms everything. We want to be a gospel multiplying church. We're united in the gospel but we're also united around the gospel, partnering to see the gospel get out. 
Look, this shows the power. We looked at the power of the gospel last week and how it can transform your life. This shows the power of the gospel, but it also shows just how big our God is, right? Like he's got big, open arms for all people. Christ is all in all. That's the unifying message that we have. We want to see every person that we possibly can get our into relationship with to hear the good news. So how does God accomplish unity amidst such diversity in the local church? It's the gospel. We're united in the gospel. The gospel brings us together in Christ, and the gospel keeps us together in Christ. But then we're united around that gospel to get it out. We have the privilege to take the message of Christ in all to all. And so churches that serve as heavenly embassies across the globe is our mission. So the storyline, may we be this church, right? Do you want this? Do you want to be this church? I, I want to be this church. May we be a church for all people working together to reach all people with this good news of the gospel. Amen? Let's pray.